Hi, this is Jess Porter. Welcome to The List. I'm speaking today with my friend Camille Napier-Bernstein, who is lives just outside of Boston. And is it fantastically autumnal there right now? No, not the colors, definitely not. Although I saw one tree that was starting to blush. But what has happened that I've noticed in the last couple of days is the chorus of cicadas and katydids and crickets are out. And I'm calling from Los Angeles where the sky is this weird, like, diarrhea yellow. It has Ooh. been for three days. And I stepped outside to walk on the grass in the backyard and it smells markedly of smoke. It's kind of scary these days. It's uh, intense. So Camille, let's discuss how we know each other. We have like a hypnosis relationship. Can you tell anyone listening how it all began? Yes. So um, my husband kind of made fun of me when I told him I was doing this because I said my friend, Jeff Porter, and he said, yeah, she's your friend, but I don't think you're her friend because you listen to her voice all the time. And this is only like the fourth <laughs> time we've ever spoken together. So I, uh, 13 years ago, happened upon the, I guess I've done the, the John Cabot Zen mindfulness-based course at UMass. And I was pregnant and then maybe it was on one of their resource lists, but I started doing the hypnobirthing, which I actually didn't do the birth with the hypnobirthing, but Hmm. I was the most chill pregnant girl ever. And Mm. I just remember lying in bed at night and doing the rainbow relaxation. And I said, I have got, I I just, I'm not pregnant anymore. So I, I need this woman's voice in my life. So that was 2007. I, um, just went on an internet sleuthing spree and found who you were. And then out of the blue just said, could you make me some personalized meditation CDs? (laughs) So I think you made two. And then in 2012, my school district gave me a grant to start a meditation club. And I got eye pillows and books and yoga mats. And I also contracted with you to do a special 30-minute meditation for my students, which I still use today. And then finally, we chatted again this year because I contacted you again when I need a different thing and um, asked you to make a meditation for teachers who are going into the classrooms teaching Mm. while COVID is going on. Wow. I mean, yeah, it's been such an interesting journey because we've never actually met in person, but we met on the phone, like you said, several times. And clearly mm-hmm. I have complete sway over your entire consciousness. <laughs> so that's good. So that's good. Clearly I control you. But what's so interesting to me is, you know, how you apply meditation and hypnosis practices in your classroom. Like what age do you teach? So I teach high schoolers, 9 through 12, but this year it's 10th grade. And for I'm going into my 21st year, but my mentor teacher named Lucille would do meditation at the beginning of class. She called it stillness because back in 1999, you really, Mm. you know, you couldn't call it meditation. Um, In fact, my first year teaching, my 
principal came by and he knew not to disrupt the first three minutes of my class, but he afterwards was kind of like, um, you know, are you, are you teaching like Buddhism in there or something? So I called it, (laughs) I called it stillness like Lucille did because the goal really is internal and external stillness by practicing the discipline of sitting still, we can still our minds. And now I can call it meditation. It's no big deal. And I, I really don't even have to do um, a long introduction at the beginning of the year anymore because kids are eager for some mm. sort of tools. And in fact, I joke that I must not be a very good English teacher because students never, ever contact. No, I wouldn't say never, ever. Just a couple of weeks ago, a student asked me about gerunds, but that is a very <laughs> rare occurrence. A former students do, however, tell me they did a meditation course or they heard the song that I always play or they were just thinking about me. And, and it's, it's not because of my grammar teaching. It's because of this one little way that I started class. And to be honest, I would start it for classroom management at the beginning because mm-hmm. they were all silent at the end. I would ring a gong after three minutes and say, good morning or afternoon. And they would say it back and that's how we started class. And I just couldn't imagine starting class saying, okay, everybody. Right. So, Settle down. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, what an amazing thing to instill in someone that age. I just, I, mm. I just love it when young people get the message that they have a mind behind their mind and it's the one making the decision. <laughs> yes. And of, of relief from that monkey mind and which is yes. just exponentially more difficult to calm down with constant notifications or, or places to distract mm. yourself. Um, wow. We, you know, not to turn into old ladies who talk about the old days, <laughs> but there was a sense of that you can have where all I would hear are the cicadas, not a vibration in my pocket or not, the idea that mm-hmm. I have posted something, I wonder what people's reactions are. Absolutely. I hadn't even thought of that. But they are living in a cacophony of ego. And anxiety yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's simple. I mean, it's simple for people to understand. I want to go to nature. I want to go to a remote place. We all go, you know, most people go on vacation to a quieter place. A lot of my students go to these camps up in you know, Maine and New Hampshire that don't, they, mm-hmm. they don't have internet service. People understand being in an external environment that is turned down to a low volume. It is mm-hmm. removing distractions. But sometimes they forget that if you can also practice that inside, you could be on the streets in New York City and still have internal stillness. That said, I do respect kids who... Um, and I just read something the other day that sitting still with the breath is one of the hardest types of meditation. Sitting with their eyes closed in the first few weeks can be really uncomfortable for some kids because they feel so vulnerable. Because they're being watched all the time on social media, I think mm. they think I'm someone's watching me right now while I'm closing my eyes in a vulnerable space. So I, I have the same script every day, but I have changed it over the last several years to say, and if you feel comfortable, close your eyes or lower them to your hands. Um, and mm-hmm. then they, they become mm-hmm. more comfortable. And in fact, once pre-COVID, once a quarter, 
I would give him a whole hour to do meditation. Um, 30 minutes, minutes of it was with the meditation you created. But the other 30 minutes, they, I would just play music. And we always laugh because some kids say, can I go to sleep? And I said, I cannot sanction sleeping. My boss would not be happy <laughs> if I gave you a nap every quarter. However, and I love teenagers because they, they get what I'm saying yeah. here. However, a state of view relaxation can sometimes resemble sleeping. And should you mm. go into a deep relaxation that resembles sleeping, that's fine. And if you snore, <laughs> we will ignore you, but I might shake your foot if you're really right. being disruptive. Right. So, you know, what's adorable is these 15-year-olds do this meditation and come back to the room feeling wonderful, as you say in the end of it, and they look younger. I mean, they're 15, mm. and they look mm. younger. And secretly, I just love seeing them because they look like little babies, and every mother loves seeing a child sleep. And these, you know, these rough-and-tumble kids or these uh, kids who, who perfect their outward look they all look like just little darling babies when they're sleeping so I take little peeks sometimes to see them sleeping yeah um let's move on to the gratitude list okay well my first one is September weather and I suppose I should just speak for myself in New England and September usually has blue skies mm-hmm. um there's always seems to be a breeze and I really love the end of the growing season in my garden where half the tomato plant is dead, but there's still some I'm waiting for to ripen. And it just seems like the colors are really, really saturated today on the September day. Mm. So I'm, I'm grateful for September weather. Cool. Um, I went shopping for groceries yesterday. I really needed them. And I just love like a big grocery shop. I remember I used to go with my mom in Toronto and I got all excited on the cereal aisle because all I wanted was sugar and cereal. But, <laughs> you know, and you'd sit in the, uh, in the cart with your, you know, facing your mother and there was little holes for your legs to go through in the cart. I mean, it was like a thing to go grocery shopping with my mother. And I remember the cash registers being like total old school And I don't love shopping per se, but during the pandemic, it's like shopping's one of the big excursions. Um, It's like a night out on the town is going grocery shopping. So it's taken on a completely different feeling, and it feels like expansion, and it feels abundant. And I go, and, and I treat myself to things. I mean, I'll like explore new things. I'll try something new. I mean, the, the experience in the grocery store is a substitute for so many other pleasures that we're not experiencing right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a simple, simple little pleasure. But I tell you, when you can't go to a movie, you can't sit down in a restaurant with a friend, and I'm not really spending money on much, and just kind of splurge. It felt good made me happy. So I'm going to sound, I mean, I'm going to piggyback on you and then I'm going to sound like I'm making advertising for these places. But I have to say that my supermarket of the five that I could choose in my area, I love this particular one because they play eighties music. And 
<laughs> and they just remind, it just reminds me of this particular period in my life where I would hear a song on the radio, like the Juby Brothers or the Police. Mm-hmm. And, and also, I agree with you, just drifting down the aisle sometimes and just looking at the possibilities of fun. Um, but I also appreciate Target because when I was pregnant, I was laying, I was exhausted and I laid down on their like furniture area and I was so peaceful. <laughs> and I, real, I realized, I think this was, with, I think it was 2007. So I was wrapped up in your meditation and, you know, so I realized they don't play music. And uh. I find my supermarkets, 80s music, fine, but most places, restaurants, the music is too loud. Or, mm-hmm. or you go to, you know, fill up your gas and they're blasting a commercial out of the, the fuel dispenser. Right. And I just loved that Target was like, you know what? We're going to think about the whole experience and you don't need some music or some noise. And I just felt grateful for that then and then grateful for when um, establishments, restaurants, et cetera, really think about the ambiance and that it might not be that we want to be stimulated all the time. Um, You mentioned the Doobie Brothers, and it reminded me that my friend, I have a friend named Sean Porter who I've had on this podcast, and we're like uh, at least 15 years apart in age, and uh, a while ago, we were out in my backyard, and he, this was before the pandemic, and he was going over his phone to play some music, and he put on like Hall & Oates or something, and I was like, oh, wow, you know, you're into this kind of music? He's like, yeah, I'm into all yacht rock. And I yacht said, rock. Yeah. And he said, well, this is yacht rock. Like there's a whole genre of yacht rock and yacht meaning like Y A C H T. And, and I said, no, this is just music. This is just music from my life. Like this is, this is, <laughs> this is the eighties. This is my, is, you know, this is music. I don't know if the doobies are considered yacht rock. They probably aren't. Maybe, though. They probably cross over into yacht rock. But, like, all the sort of soft rock that we grew up listening to is now called yacht rock because it sort of <laughs> has this mystique of sort of Southern California off the coast, like, drink your champagne on your yacht music. And it's like, what? What? What are you doing? What? It was so nuts. And yet, at the same time, I was, insanely grateful that this person almost a generation younger than me was into this music because it was, and I wasn't even, I wasn't into that music that much when it was happening, but it Mm -hmm. was the ambiance of the time. It was, it represents a whole decade. And Mm -hmm. as a Gen Xer, (laughs) it makes me laugh that it would be called Yacht Rock. I know, I know, (laughs) but look it up. It's a thing. It's a thing. My next one will be, I appreciate my cat Lulu. I'm sitting outside and this cat is transformed by going outside. Um, Mm. I recognize that a lot of people think that cats going outside is not a good idea. And I do accept that it likely shortens their lives, but she is miserable inside. She Mm -hmm. is. She's stiff, um, won't let you hold her. You come outside and 
I just, I guess I'm, what I'm appreciating is that she has found her environment. So maybe I'm more grateful for the fact that we have a yard she can go into. I don't know. I couldn't agree more. I will make no friends in saying I too believe in like outdoor cats, just in terms of their essence as a cat Mm -hmm. is released by an outdoor environment. Like I really believe, Mm -hmm. you know, cats are hunters. They originally, I mean, I know they're domesticated at this point, but their whole DNA is about being out in the world and exploring and protecting and hunting and, and although I have had cats both indoor and outdoor through my life, and I probably will not ever have another outdoor cat, which may mean it takes a while before I even get a cat. It's hard for me to keep a cat indoors. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, too, I see exactly what you're saying. There's a, something emerges, an essence emerges when they let, are allowed to go outside that I really respect and enjoy and, and love to love. And I know that, like you said, it, their lifespans are reduced by that. Right. Well, I also think that the lives that they live are, in my humble opinion, better when they're allowed to express their cat personality. My friend was just telling me the other day, and she's a teacher too, so she knows that the kids come in two days and our viral load will be different. But she decided to let her mother-in-law, who has Alzheimer's, into her house in the last few months, even though she knows it's an increased risk because she really doesn't think she'll survive the next year and a half that we need to combat this. And she had kind of the same argument you were making about the cats, that her mother-in-law, obviously with Alzheimer's has only a few places she feels comfortable and to Mm. deny her a place where she can have joy, even if Mm. it puts her at a higher risk. And I do think we're going to all move into that place. I'm not suggesting the, the people who are just tired of it and they're over it and they're sick of doing it, but the, the calculated risks you have to start making now that, I think everyone's starting to understand or some people are understanding this is we're, we're in this for a few years to really, truly mm-hmm. have it change. Um, so you have to make different calculated risks. Okay. So my next gratitude is that we've been in this now for six months and I feel like we've gone through really distinct phases with it. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'll just talk about my own, but there was shock. And then there was like adaptation to the new reality. And then Mm -hmm. there was sort of depression actually after that, where it's like, holy crap, this is really the new reality. Mm -hmm. And that was probably attached to a deeper acceptance of it. And now I finally feel like the neural pathways are pretty set. And it's like, oh yeah. I mean, back in the day, the joke was, I'd be in the middle of a conversation with somebody and be like, hey, we're in a pandemic. Like it was just, we all knew that, you know, it was so new that if we would excite the new neural pathways and everybody and it would be a joke. Like, oh, my God, remember, we're in a pandemic because mm-hmm. you forget. And now I feel like I've been in pandemic my entire life. Like they're so set that it's like, oh, man, here we are again. And this is the normal. And the benefit of that 
so the thing for which I'm grateful is that it has normalized to a great extent. And now what I'm feeling, especially with the advent of fall, is a workaround. You know, like I was watching the U.S. Open tennis in the last week or so. And here, this is the first sports thing, with the exception possibly of the NBA functioning from Disney World, the first sports thing event in six months. Mm -hmm. And what they did was they figured it out. It's like, okay, when you're not on the court, everyone's wearing masks. We do not have a crowd in the stadium, but we still have mm-hmm. a huge television audience. Mm-hmm. We're going to do this for no people. And tennis is, by definition, a socially distanced sport. And I'm, what I'm feeling is the world going, okay, how are we going to do this? How mm-hmm. are we going to adapt to this? We're no longer in shock. Let's figure out how we're going to hobble along as countries and economies and families and worlds and schools and just work with this. And it's kind of cool to see that happen. I'm grateful for resilience. So I would say sunflowers. And the reason I'm saying that is I have never grown sunflowers intentionally until this year. Um, A lot of our bird seed will fall and something will pop up. But this year I purposely tried to plant some sunflowers and they're finally all in. And I was taking pictures of them this morning and I realized, first of all, truly they tilt their faces up to the sun. And that Mm -hmm. is just beautiful. And it immediately with their floppy leaves, they look like heads with arms. And each one I started noticing when I would take a photo of it, it really seemed to have a face and a personality. Mm. I just because they're different, because like sizes or what? They are. They're, well, I think it's for a few reasons. They're different sizes. Um, each of their petals, they have floppy enough petals that they, the wind can blow them so they look like they're almost making expressions. They're tilted at different angles. Um, they just don't look like, and I, I love flowers and I love that they, you know, appear exactly the same, but I just today noticed that sunflowers just seem to have, I know I'm anthropomorphizing them, but they seem to have a personality and I, I just love that. So they will be a fixture in my garden from now on. Cool. That reminds me of one of my last gratitudes and that is my friend Evelyn. Evelyn is in her later 80s now, and she has just moved into an assisted living facility, which during COVID is a very lonely thing to do, but it was necessary because her mobility was compromised. But Evelyn has every single marble, and in a way, having every single marble is painful because Mm -hmm. you change your environment completely. You see that the assisted living facility is understaffed. And Mm -hmm. you know, especially under COVID, you're not going to have people just like randomly visiting you. Visitors Mm -hmm. have to be, you know, scheduled and stuff. But I just want to give a shout out to Evelyn herself, who Evelyn studied and practiced the science of mind, which is, you know, loosely based on the work of Ernest Holmes and the sort of um, early law of attraction people um, Mm -hmm. who are very powerful, you know, thinkers. And Evelyn has studied that for 40 years um, or longer, actually. Ev has never been married and never had children and moved to L.A. from Trenton, New Jersey, 
in, I think, her late 20s and has just lived a capital L life, just a Mm. great life. She's completely on her own terms, you know, independent financially, independent emotionally, Mm -hmm. adventurous, gregarious knows all sorts of people, really loves jazz, has been a huge jazz fan and sort of infiltrated the jazz world in L.A. And, uh, you know, is in a completely different chapter of her life now. And I just want to say how grateful I am for Evelyn. I know it's hard for her right now, but she's really been a model to me and Mm. continues to be of just biting life like a baguette and just yanking it off <laughs> your face. You know what I mean? Like with gusto. Yes. She just lived with gusto and courage. And it takes courage to be where she is right now, too. And I know she's applying it, and she still applies the science of mind just silently to herself, giving herself yeah. positive affirmations like all day, every day. And she's one of my mentors in terms of gratitude. Evelyn is uh, deeply, deeply committed to gratitude. For my last one. It's a bit of a follow-on. It's about mentors, too. Um, and I'm just grateful to the mentors that my kids have um, because yeah. I think, too, because we don't practice or organize religion. There just don't seem to be all those societal structures that maybe informed your worldview. And, and it's a burden, a joyful burden, but also a burden to be such a truth espouser to my kids. So I am so grateful for all the different mentors they have in their lives because I'm kind of projecting in the future thinking of people that they would thank, like you thanked Evelyn. And I have such lovely people who have served as mentors to my kids and really take interest in them. I'm thinking specifically because I saw them last week of um, two former teaching colleagues, Joe and Zach, and they have known my kids since they were babies. And actually, my kids call them Uncle Zach and Uncle Joe because my family lives in Kentucky. And they still, my kids are now 12 and 10, they still always bring a little trinket over. And it's not the idea of a gift. It's just that someone was thinking about, my kids feel, someone was thinking about me when they weren't around or they teach them a magic trick mm. or they affirm their humanity. They are models in how they live. And Zach even said it was nice that the kids hung out with us too, because they've grown up seeing my kids, not they've grown up. My kids have grown up at two and four. They wanted to do dance performances and Joe and Zach were so patient watching those, or they wanted to, you know, Mm. they asked them to play with them. Zach actually was the one who put together the kids jungle gym when, and it took 12 hours and he stayed the whole 12 hours. Wow. It's just lovely that my kids have other adults in their lives that check on them, care about them, that I'm just really grateful for the, how it does take a village. And I, I Mm -hmm. feel like I have a nice village. So I'm grateful for that. 